What's going on, Love Tribe? Thanks for tuning in. Thank you for joining us today. On today's show, we welcome back Dr. Marissa T. Cohen, and she is a relationship coach, relationship researcher, and teaches college-level psychology courses. She is also the author of From First Kiss to Forever and has a blog on psychology today. And today we dive in and talk about strengthening our connection and intimacy in our relationships. And Marissa gives us some great tools to do that, to understand how we connect individually and from our partner, how to communicate that, and some exercises that uh, we can do to help increase our connection. And not to give it away, but one of those exercises is the 36 questions that we have talked on the show about before and is also part of our a lesson in our course, Spark My Relationship. And so we want to give those questions to you for free just because we love you guys. So <laughs> in the show notes, you can click on the link to access those questions and we will email them to you. So... We highly recommend yes. just checking them out, using them on a date night. We talk about it in the show, but you can spread them out over several date nights. Do it at home instead of watching a Netflix show. They're really fun and a great way to connect with your partner. So as always, thank you so much for listening to the show, sharing with your friends and family, for subscribing and for checking out all the free resources that we have for you guys on our website. And if you're not a member of our Love Tribe fam on Facebook, you can go over to facebook.com slash love tribe fam to join. And you can also sign up for our 14 day happy couple challenge on our website. We appreciate you guys so much and enjoy the show. Today's show is brought to you by our online course, Spark My Relationship. Create more passion, improve your communication, and build a stronger, more intimate connection with your partner in less than 90 days. We've collaborated with 15 therapists and psychologists to bring you the strategies marriage therapists teach their clients. To unlock a special offer only for I Do Podcast listeners, visit sparkmyrelationship.com slash unlock. That's sparkmyrelationship.com slash unlock. Hey, Marissa, thank you so much for joining us back on the show. Thank you so much for having me. Today, we're going to talk about strengthening our connection and intimacy with our partner. So why don't we start by having you tell us how you think about connection and intimacy in relationships? Yeah, great question. Um, a lot of people, when they hear the term intimacy, automatically assume that someone's referring to sex. And sex can be part of intimacy, but that's not all that intimacy is. Intimacy is really letting your guard down, letting your walls down, sharing with your partner your innermost fears, desires, secrets, wants, and needs. So it's really getting to know another person at a closer level. And it can be a romantic partner. It could also be friendships too. Like having a good, intimate friendship is going to bring a lot more satisfaction to a person than just like an acquaintance. 
obviously we're going to dive in and talk about how we can strengthen that and, and create more intimacy in a relationship. But what would you tell a partner who seems to have difficulty opening up and being vulnerable or a partner whose partner is exhibiting those kind of traits that is just feels like they're a wall maybe and hard to get them to open up? Yeah, so I think that it could be problematic if a person just kind of starts to question themselves right away and, and think in terms of, you know, what is it that I might be doing that's, you know, leading my partner to have difficulty opening up and sharing with me. And you definitely don't want to revert to blaming yourself or, you know, putting any fault on yourself. Um, I think that it's important to kind of look systemically at the relationship. I mean, you have two individuals in this relationship and each person probably has their own idea of what intimacy is. And it just might be a situation in which people's views don't sync up. So it's important to really keep open lines of communication and really just sit down and explore with your partner well, what, what feels comfortable for you. Like what, what makes you feel good about opening up and sharing and what reservations do you have? Because it might have nothing to do with you as the individual, but it might be maybe your partner's previous experiences with you know letting their guard down. So what if someone's idea of intimacy i mean is it a place where it's just wrong like someone's just like their idea of opening up is like talking about the weather that that's what they're comfortable with what would you tell that person and how could you get them to dive a little deeper Right, right. And yeah, I mean, I think if a person's idea was, you know, very focused on small talk and, you know, talking about the weather or something like that, it would definitely be more challenging to get to an intimate space. But I think the, the most important thing is, you know, not to kind of judge it as right or wrong because we all have different views. So I think it kind of, um, requires like acceptance in a way. Like this is my view of intimacy. That is your view of intimacy. Um, good, bad, or indifferent, they're just not the same. And we need to, you know, kind of open this discussion and, and talk with one another. So we eventually can sync up. And I think that, you know, we are individuals, but within relationships, we can grow and we can grow towards one another. And if you feel that you are in a very comfortable relationship and you feel that you have a secure attachment bond to your partner, that might allow you to become more intimate in ways that you haven't necessarily been in previous relationships. So it doesn't mean that you know our view of intimacy is something that's going to be static throughout life. Are there instances where... Someone is just, I don't want to say it like as a negative trait, but they're, they're just incapable at a certain point of, of really opening up no matter how comfortable they feel with the partner. And let's say that's okay, but maybe that they're just incompatible with certain people because mm -hmm. of that. Mm -hmm. 
I think that that kind of stems also from our attachment styles. And I just kind of want to segue to that for a moment because I think that that would kind of provide some more context. And when we talk about attachment, there are three you know main types of attachment and you have your secure attachment, which is a person who kind of views the world as safe and predictable. And just backing up for a moment, our attachment styles that we form when we're born, our attachment to our primary caregiver, there is a correlation between early attachment and attachment later in life. So the attachment style that we have, that bond early in life, is going to relate to the types of bonds that we have in our relationships. So a person who has a secure attachment, which we kind of think about as like the gold standard, you know, they're easily adaptable in relationships. There are people that feel comfortable. Um, they're able to form commitments. They're going to be able to trust their partner. Then we have people with insecure attachment styles, and these can either be those who are um, anxious, and those might be people who are constantly questioning their partner or constantly fearful that their partner is going to stray or leave them. So this might manifest as a person being extremely overbearing in a relationship, not giving their partner much space, constantly calling and needing to be on top of them. You know, in their mind, they're just trying to protect their partner from straying, which might have the unintended effect of pushing them away. And then, which I think is most relevant to that question, is the idea, or rather the, the avoidant attachment style. And these are people who um, you would think of, you might colloquially refer to them as being commitment phobes, where they're just kind of hesitant to get involved in relationships because they don't view the world as safe and predictable. And they, they fear that once they get too close, something is going to be problematic in the relationship. And these are probably going to be the people that have the most intimacy issues. Uh, And again, not in terms of sex, but in terms of wanting to open up, wanting to share, because their desire is going to be to keep people at arm's length. So the way that we behave in relationships, in a way, can be related back to intimacy But the good thing about this is that it doesn't mean that this can't be molded and this can't be changed to an extent. So our intimacy, sorry, our attachment style is kind of like this blueprint, but we can change it. Uh, If someone goes to couples counseling, you know, and especially if you work on attachment related issues, if you have like an emotionally focused therapist, this can definitely help people improve their attachment to one another and lead to more intimacy within the relationship. So what are some ways that we can actively create more connection, intimacy, once we understand our attachment style and our partner's attachment style? What are some tools that we can get that connection going stronger? So I think that tools that would definitely help are being sensitive and responsive to your partner's needs. And I think that, you know, before learning about your partner, each person has to really, you know, learn about themselves as individuals. And that's why I tell a lot of couples that wind up going to couples counseling, each of you should be in individual counseling as well to kind of help you explore those issues. Like what are your own needs? 
So um, after that self-awareness piece of understanding yourself, making sure you open the lines of communication with your partner. Uh, Sit down and share with your partner, this is what I need to feel comfortable in the relationship. And then in turn, allowing your partner to express his or her needs to you. And realizing that, you know, needs might not always sync up. And that is okay. It's not necessarily about you. It's about responding to your partner in a way that meets his or her needs. It it kind of parallels with the whole idea of understanding your partner's love language. How would one couple go about working on this specifically? Because right now, a lot of us are still in quarantine. And when this episode goes Mm -hmm. out, we we may be out of it. But it might have put a lot of added pressure to these types of conversations and and scenarios. So what would be the best way for a couple to, I guess, start this dialogue on ways to improve their attachment style and then help their intimacy with their partner? Yeah, that's such a great question. And um, I really hope that by the time this airs or, you know, obviously even sooner Mm -hmm. that we're out of quarantine and that we no longer need to you know, have these stay-at-home orders, though I, I assume, you know, for at least the time being, we, we probably will just to, to protect ourselves and other more vulnerable populations. So I hope that you know, everyone listening is safe and they're doing well. Um, but, you know, one of the things that we're starting to see now is because these times are, are so uncertain, it's, it's during these times that we really want to affiliate with other people or kind of like band together for that sense of security and for that, you know, comfort. So people are seeking out connections and that might be turning towards your partner in the home. That might be for people that are quarantining by themselves, you know, trying to connect with friends, create uh, having zoom calls, uh, video conferences, really needing to reach out and form connections. So I think that, you know, just anyone in a relationship, not in a relationship, prioritize the important connections in your life. That's important. Um, And it will bring us a peace of mind during these difficult times. Uh, Something else that I think is also really important is that it's, we have to realize that this is such like there's no rule book for what's for what's going on right now, and I always think that it's interesting when people are talking about you know we're all working from home. It's really not that we're working from home. It's like we're just trying to survive at this point, and you know we're we're juggling a whole bunch of of different things. Maybe if you have kids, you're helping with their schooling at home. You're trying to handle your jobs, and you're also dealing with this huge, huge burden of the anxiety associated with this pandemic. And that's something that even if we're not necessarily cognizant of, it's kind of always there. It's, it's present and it's affecting us and it can be affecting our relationships. And it's, it's putting pressure on us in ways that we might not have even realized. And some early data that's been coming out of China who went through this before us has shown that divorces are now increasing. There's been a spike in divorces there. Um, in uh, the U.S., we're also starting to see that, that there's a lot more people initiating, you know, calling divorce lawyers because it's creating tension within a relationship that 
might have been there and buried below the surface, or now it's just being brought out for the first time. And that can complicate just any issue in dealing with, with a couple. So I think that it's really, really important now for, for people to be aware of, again, the self-awareness piece, be aware of your own needs. Balance the time spent as a couple and time spent apart. It's, it's important for us to have our alone time, to recenter, to practice self-care. Um, and we don't always need to feel that pressure to constantly be together in the same room or in the same space because we need that, that time apart that we probably are usually accustomed to when we don't have these stay-in-place orders. Sorry, that was a really roundabout <laughs> way of just kind of acknowledging what's going on in the world and the new pressures that we face as couples. For those individuals that are have more of an anxious attachment, I'm sure these circumstances probably mm. enhance those feelings. Yeah. Do you have any specific exercises or tools that those individuals can do to prevent that additional anxiety or stress or detachment from their partner during this time? Yeah. Uh, so, you know, it, there's so many individual differences. So it's going to be a little bit of trial and error for every single person to figure out really what works best for them. And even, you know, beyond just someone who has an anxious attachment and is dealing with perhaps difficulties in a relationship, anyone who has a need for like the planners, the people who want to be able to control things, this is going to be even more challenging on them during this time because everything is so uncertain and our lives have been disrupted. Our boundaries have been completely blurred. And, you know, again, like I mentioned before, there really is no playbook for, for how we should handle this and in what we should do. So I think that that's where self-care really comes into play. And this is different for every person, but I'll just, I'll give a couple of concrete examples and, and again, you know, try them and see what feels natural, realizing that if these aren't activities that you practice before, it might take a while before you get the hang of them and before it feels comfortable. So uh, things like mindful awareness are, are so, so helpful. And this can be something like meditation, uh, putting on music and just kind of focusing inward. It could be things like breathing exercises. So focusing on your breath, maybe, you know, breathe in for, hold for, breathe out for. And that's just really to get that anxiety level down to kind of center yourself. Another one that really helps a lot of people is focusing on your immediate sensory experiences. And this is something that can kind of ground you and keep you focused on the present. So for example, what are two things that in my current environment that I can see right now? Name two things that I can touch right now. Name two things that I can smell right now. Name two things that I can taste right now. So that's kind of getting you out of all of those future-oriented, catastrophizing thoughts and focusing on what is present here and now. For a lot of people, they find journaling helpful, just kind of getting lost in free journaling exercises. If it helps you to have prompts, you might want to focus on what are two things that I'm thankful for today? You know, what are two things that might make tomorrow a little bit better? So setting very short-term, easily achievable goals 
be beneficial. And then for other people, uh, it's just taking that break from the news cycle and being able to turn off. And it's completely okay. Don't feel guilty about it. Like it's okay to have that break from the news cycle and get immersed in something that's interesting to you. Tons of cultural institutions, museums, and art galleries, they have online exhibits. Uh, You can take a virtual tour of a museum. You can take a class. So just do something for yourself that's just about you. And if this is something that interests your partner, it would be really, really great if you can incorporate him or her, provided that you've had the alone time that you feel that you need. And this can even be something that you kind of craft a date night around. Those are great tips and tools and Go on a virtual museum. I did not know that existed. I'm so excited now. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. It's amazing. So I want to revisit the tool to go within and try to understand ourselves to create more connection. If someone listening hasn't done that, maybe you can give them some, some tips on getting started or if your partner, if you feel like your partner just is kind of resistant to that, how can you talk to them about like starting that process and reaching out and also effective communication for saying like, Hey, I'd really like to connect more with you. I feel like that's such a difficult conversation um, to someone that might be a little bit closed off. But first we want to tell you about today's sponsors. Today's episode is brought to you by BetterHelp. We've been telling you guys about BetterHelp and online therapy for a while now, and we love working with BetterHelp. And now more than ever feels like a time that we need to talk to someone. And the uncertainty with everything going on in the world can just add a lot of stress. And even before this time, Sarah and I were seeing an online therapist through BetterHelp and individually and as a couple and just found a ton of benefits. And now it's really showing its benefit. BetterHelp connects you with a professional counselor in a safe and private online environment. You can communicate with your therapist via text, chat, phone, and video. And you can choose from over 3,000 U.S. licensed therapists across all 50 states who specialize in relationships, depression, stress, anxiety, trauma, and many more areas. And of course, anything you share is confidential. And if you're not happy with your counselor for any reason, you can request a new one at any time for no additional charge. BetterHelp is secure, convenient, and professional. We want you to start living a happier life today. As a listener, you'll get 10% off your first month by visiting betterhelp.com slash I do. Join over 800,000 people taking charge of their mental health. Again, that's betterhelp, H-E-L-P.com slash I do for 10% off your first month. Today's episode is also brought to you by Uberlube. Lube is the key to maximizing pleasure, whether you're alone or with your partner. So if you don't know, now you know. And (laughs) if you're going to lubricate, you want to make sure it's done with the highest quality, body-safe ingredients. And nothing beats Uber Lube. 
UberLube truly is for everyone. Thousands of doctors recommend UberLube as their go-to solution for patients experiencing dryness. UberLube's simple ingredients list makes it widely used by people with sensitivities to other lubricants. And people can use UberLube outside of the bedroom for hair control, like for frizziness, for chafing for those athletes, for massages, and so much more. And UberLube lets your skin feel like skin. Lube is supposed to enhance touch, not to overpower it. So UberLube adds a thin layer that leads to just the right amount of slip while still allowing for skin-to-skin sensations. And for those of you that can't see in the dark, (laughs) which is probably all of you, unless you're Spider-Man and you're listening, or Batman. Or Cat-Eye Vision. There you go. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Uber Lube's measured pumps allow you to dispense the perfect amount of product every time, even in the dark. So right now they're offering ID Podcast listeners a special offer, 10% off and free shipping when you use our code IDO at uberlube.com. That's 10% off and free shipping. Use the code IDO at uberlube.com. Yeah, um, it definitely can be a difficult conversation. And I really think that it depends upon how you frame it. So if you kind of approach a conversation with, you're really closed off and I want to get closer to you, all of a sudden you're putting that person on the defensive and you're blaming them essentially for the fact that there might be a breakdown in intimacy or in open communication or whatever it is that you're identifying as the problem. So I think that it would be helpful if you point towards positive behavior and say, you know, well, when we sit down and have these deep conversations, I think it's really great because we get to learn more about one another, or I feel so much closer to you during those moments. So rather than focus on what the problem is, it's kind of identifying when were times in the relationship where you felt that it was especially strong and and using those as potential solutions and bringing those out and highlighting them. So it's something that we're looking towards and not running away from. And you're, you're not putting a person on the defensive in that situation. And I also think that it would be helpful to explain why you want to engage in, you know, finding more intimate practices or or getting to want to know a person at a deeper level and explaining why it's important to you. Because, you know, if you've identified a problem or you're not feeling as close to your partner as you want to feel, it doesn't necessarily mean that your, your partner has that same viewpoint. So just kind of sharing that, you know, I feel that it would be helpful for us to engage in having a date night once a week so we can take time out of our busy schedules to really just focus on us as a couple and and letting your partner know not only what you want, but why what you want is important to you. Kind of letting them in on your thought process. And about that question that you asked regarding, you know, mindful awareness exercises or focusing in on yourself, this can be something that you can do as an individual to either help you feel more centered and then allow you to be more present in your day-to-day activities, which will enhance your overall emotional, mental well-being and in turn will enhance your relationship. Or it can be something that you want your partner to join in on. And, you know, if this is something, as you mentioned, that your partner is not familiar with, 
it can be daunting or it can just simply be a turnoff. Like I've never done anything like that. I don't want to meditate. And, you know, I can speak from firsthand experience. I am a person who is extremely type A. I'm a planner. I like control. And my idea of relaxing would be doing cardio with blasting music <laughs> in my ears. And it wouldn't be, it wouldn't be like meditating or yoga. And for so many years, this was something that I was just so resistant to. And I was telling myself, like, I can't meditate. I can't calm my mind, you know? And, and I had this misconception about what it was where I kind of thought that it was, you know, I can't make my mind go blank. I can't be thinking about nothing. And that's, that's not what mindful awareness is. It's, it's really staying in the moment and focusing on your thoughts. And it's okay, especially in the, in the beginning when you're practicing this, and it's to be expected that if you want to do a meditation practice, your mind will wander. And accept that, allow that you can wander and, and you kind of go in the direction that your mind is wandering. And if all of a sudden you start thinking about your to-do list or anything else, go in that direction and then gently guide yourself back to whatever your anchor point is, if it's your breath or if it's the position that you're sitting in. And another thing that I tell a lot of my clients that are trying to begin some sort of mindful awareness practice but are having difficulty is... You don't have to go for, you know, meditating the first time for like an hour or half an hour. If, if you've never done it before, build up, build up slowly and do it in a way that's comfortable for you. Start with meditating for five minutes. And then once you have that where it feels like you're in a comfortable place, go to eight minutes, then to 10. I mean, do it in small increments so you're setting yourself up for success with these goals. Meditation is such a valuable tool personally and relationally. So thanks for those tips. I got to get going on my practice again. I actually did it 20 minute meditation guided for the first time in a while this morning. And I definitely am feeling the benefits. Marissa, I wanted to touch on maybe some specific exercises to engage in with your partner. I mean, you mentioned like sharing the thing of a, of a guided museum tour virtually, hopefully soon that's in person. You guys can <laughs> right. do that. Hopefully in person soon. <laughs> I know. And, and in the past we've talked about, and Sarah and I have actually done like a set of questions to get to know your partner, even if you've been together for a while and we found that valuable. Do you have any uh, specific exercises like that? Oh yeah, I think that that's great. Um, you know, the the one that went viral probably several years ago were that the thirty six questions that supposedly make you fall in love, mm -hmm. um, and that was in I believe in New York Times Modern Love article by Mandy Len Catron. And she took those questions actually from an amazing study that was done by Arthur Ahrens, and the. Uh, purpose of this study was basically, and this goes right back to intimacy, was basically to generate feelings of interpersonal closeness in a very short period of time. You know, will these questions make you fall in love? Uh, no, two people who aren't in love will not just answer these questions and <laughs> automatically wind up partnering up. But the purpose of these questions were really to get you to kind of dig deep. And uh, they were also very fun questions. So I'm trying to think back to what they were. But I think one example 
which was one of my favorites, was if you call someone on the phone, it was either if you call someone on the phone or if you're going to leave them a voicemail, do you rehearse what you're going to say first and why? And, and I love it because I feel like everyone that's kind of polarizing and everyone's like, yes, definitely. Or no, why would I do that? And <laughs> it's not just like a closed question where it's like, yes or no, it's open in that it asks you why. And it's a fun question to answer, but also requires you to think on a deeper level about yourself. Like, you know, my answer would be, of course, I rehearse what I'm going to say first. And when I'm thinking about why, why? Because I want to come off prepared and I, and I want to know what it, that I sound like I know what I'm talking about because this is important to me. It's, in answering this question, it's potentially revealing some aspect of who you are and what your values are and what you view of what you view as important. So those questions, you can easily find them online. I know that the app stores on the phones, right when uh, this article went viral, there were a ton of different apps that presented these questions. And answering things like that are a lot better than small talk questions where it's just, you know, I mean, presumably if this is your partner, you already know a lot of the small talk answers, like when's your birthday or what, what's your favorite food? But you know, the deeper you can get, the better. We love that. And it's so funny that you mentioned that because we have in our online course, Spark My Relationship, we have a whole lesson dedicated to these 36 questions and the importance of it. And um, okay. Arthur Aaron was one of our guests many, many years ago when we first started. So we had him on the show to talk about those questions as well. So it's we love that you mentioned that because it's, it is a big part of what we talk about in our course. So awesome that you mentioned that. Yeah. And I've heard from people before that they've busted out those questions on a first date. I mean, <laughs> that, that's a bold move, um, oh, yeah. which is also pretty cool because, you know, if you are someone who wants to do that and you find the person who is happy to answer them and sit there with you over the course of a first date and go through those 36 questions, which can take Wait a bit of time. Oh, yeah. Looks like you might have found someone who's going to be pretty important in your life. Oh, yeah. When Chase and I did this a couple summers ago, we actually did it over like three different dates because it was, I think we averaged like 10 questions a date because it does, you know, you can go into a lot of detail and then it starts new conversation, right. new dialogue. And it's, it was really fun. Right. And that's, you know, that's a benefit of asking open ended questions because it allows you to, kind of explore the area around the question. And it also can invite follow-up questions from your partner about, well, why did you answer in that way? Or it also can get you to learn about different aspects of a partner that you didn't even, you weren't even aware of before. Yeah. We highly recommend people check that out. And I believe Mandy that uh, actually wrote the article, didn't do the research, but she wrote the article and right. and she did the experiment, ended up marrying the guy who she oh, dated. No I'm almost <laughs> Yeah, she did. She did. Yeah. I think that's like the perfect end to that story. Yeah. It's hilarious. But th by no means is this a sales pitch to <laughs> go find your spouse and this is the key to doing it. But it was pretty cute uh, that that happened in, in a fun story. So I heard that from the original study, anecdotally, I mean, there was no like statistical significance necessarily, but anecdotally, I heard that a lot of people that did do the questions with one another wound up in relationships. And I mean, it makes 
sense because you are getting to that intimate space much more quickly and you are generating these feelings of interpersonal closeness and sharing aspects of yourself that might be vulnerable. Absolutely. Yeah, we'll have to look into that. But yeah, it's so interesting because I remember hearing, I listened to it, it was a TED podcast about these 36 questions and it was something, the podcast was about love and how, yeah, so much of love is that connection, that that intimacy and this exercise of the 36 questions was like a scientific formula to create love. I think that was the question. It, you know, it's kind of mm-hmm. like the 36 questions that lead to love, I, I believe was the, the actual New York Times article. Mm-hmm. And I don't want to reduce the magic of relationships and love to like this formula. Obviously, it's not that simple, but in some ways, this element of it is. And that's why if you're in a relationship now, like, Go over these questions, get to know your partner better. Even if you've been together for a while, even if you've done it before, maybe your answers change and you're going to learn something new because guess what? People change. I love that. And I also love what you just said about, you know, you wouldn't want to necessarily reduce like the magic of love to this, but this is also very important. And I completely agree with you. I mean, you know, my, my work is in the area of relationship science. So I, I focus on, well, how can we scientifically study aspects of love? But I'm always very, very careful to say, it's not a perfect science. And we can't just like, you know, have a simple algorithm that says, plug in all of these variables. And this is a person that you will fall in love with for a long lasting and fulfilling relationship. I suppose if we were able to do that, it would be a lot easier when it comes to finding partners. But but as you say, that that does kind of reduce it and get rid of some of that awesome magic to this drive, emotion, experience it or feeling, however you want to view it. But, you know, the algorithms are helpful. And now I'm just thinking in terms of like dating site algorithms, you know, they're, they're good at finding you someone who you're likely to get along with. They're good at finding you, finding you someone who you share the same values and interests with. But then there's that, that little piece, which is very, very important that's in and above whatever those algorithms that can predict, which, you know, if you want to call it a spark or however you want to refer to it, And that's really that personality factor, which is something that, you know, you simply just can't suss out based upon an algorithm. And that's when, you know, two people get together and really get to figure out if they can mesh well. And then that's that that missing factor. And that's what turns a friendship or just any relationship into that loving experience. Absolutely. And before we wrap up, I want to see if there's anything in regards to connection and intimacy that we skipped over or you want to emphasize. And I want to ask you, like through your research along these same lines, are there any things like these questions that you found are strong indicators for success of a relationship? So I think that any... Any type of question, again, focusing on open-ended questions, things that can't be answered by a simple yes or no, things that get people talking, 
Uh, and you can even just like, if you do a quick search for prompts online, make sure you're looking for open-ended prompts because they're inviting more conversation. And and anything that gets people talking to one another, especially when we're, when we were mentioning before, people that might not necessarily be comfortable or people who want to just focus on the weather. If you can give them, you know, interesting prompts to just get them focusing on something else, getting people talking is really, really important. Um, And especially now, pausing from your day and everything that's going on with trying to manage maybe schooling children at home and handling work and dealing with all the uncertainty and, and stopping and focusing on one another and building that connection through communicating in an open and honest way, that's gonna lead to that connection. Well, thank you so much for sharing that because I know sometimes in Chase and I's dynamic, he is definitely more of the talker and I can be more reserved. And so I do find it super helpful when he asks me questions because it makes me think of things differently and answer differently and initiate that conversation. So I really appreciate when he does do that. Yeah, I mean, that's so important. And also something that I'm starting to to see is a lot of people are, are telling me, you know, well, we're quarantined together. So we're in the house all day, every day for who knows how long. So we're spending tons of quality time together. And that's not necessarily true. Mm-hmm. Now, I, I want to go back to what I said before. I don't want to diminish the importance of when you need a break, go have your alone time. But I don't want people to equate time spent together with actual connection and time spent connecting. I mean, you can be together, but you can both be sitting at a dinner table focusing on your phones, or you can both be sitting at a dinner table watching the news or worrying about what tomorrow is going to bring. It's, you know, you have to be cognizant of, well, what are we actually doing in this time together that's fostering a sense of connection and going back to those open-ended questions and communicating? That's a really helpful task. Well, thank you so much, Marissa, for sharing all this information for us today. I think this is a great point for us to wrap up today's show. Can you tell our listeners where they can find more information about you and how they can reach out to you before we wrap up? Sure. And thank you so much for having me. So to get more information about me and any of the work that I'm doing, you can visit my website and that's www.marissatcohen.com. And that's Marissa with one S. And on my website, I have all the links to my different social media accounts and it lists all upcoming events. Wonderful. Well, we'll have uh, those links um, to your website in the show notes and on our website. And again, thank you so much for coming back on the show. Thank you. Thanks so much for listening to today's show. As always, all the links are in the podcast description and on our website. So if you are dying to check out our new podcast series, Love Under Quarantine, you can click those links in the episode description and get access immediately. The podcast series is now available and we hope you guys check it out. And as well, there are always free resources on our website at idpodcast.com, freebies, all different types of topics. So check out our website and we hope you guys enjoyed the show. 